Right. Tell me who you are, what you do and why you do it. Good morning. Uh, my name is Jay Godfrey. I am a founder of Nishama Psychedelic Wellness. Um, it is a, a world's largest ketamine clinic located in New York City, um, right in the heart of Manhattan. Uh, and why do I do this? Well, I've had some incredible experiences um, with psychedelic medicine following three years of therapy that really, uh, while it was beneficial, it couldn't get to the root cause of why I was suffering. And um, my work with plant medicine really changed my life. And uh, once I decided that this was going to be something that I was going to pursue, nothing could hold me back because uh, I saw after COVID and even during COVID that people really, really needed new solutions uh, in the here and now. So I was listening to the Stephen Bartlett podcast and uh, one of the people on there was saying how he, um, the ketamine, actually, it's the guy who um, is a massive health freak who does all of the sleep stuff and he's basically a 50 year old and he's got the body age of like a 20 year old he's like gum obsessed oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, i think it was him anyway and he said um how he did ketamine and a few days before they measured his brain neuron activity and he described it as airports just going from one destination to another you know he throw to australia america to canada mexico to taiwan and then he said when he took the ketamine it was like sending planes all over the place. Like one plane was supposed to go to China from America. It ended up in the middle of Singapore and that's supposed <laughs> to go to Canada that ended up in Peru. And all these paths are just like fucked and out of sync. And then he said a few days afterwards, three days that all of a sudden his brain neurons and patterns went back to America, to Canada, Mexico, to, you know, England. Um, and he said it scrambled his, his, his brain neurons. So how does that affect people positively um who's say gone through trauma when actually that seems to be a negative by saying just that yeah oliver that's a good question because um you know the word scrambled can be a good a good connotation or a bad one and i sense your friend or your or the person that was describing this rather um their scramble didn't sound like a good situation if you're trying to go from New York to Heathrow, but you end up in Peru. Uh, perhaps that's not a great thing. What I will say is in any kind of psychedelic journey, ketamine included, really two things happen. One, there is a process or, or something going on in your brain called neuroplasticity and that or, or synaptogenesis. And what that means is there are areas of your brain that have either never communicated with each other or haven't communicated with each other in a very, very long time that are just starting to connect. That's the scrambling that that podcaster was talking about. Neuroplasticity is the gateway to this rapid antidepressant effect that ketamine and frankly, many other psychedelic and psychedelic like molecules have. That's the one, that's the physiological effect. Oliver, what I think you're more interested in, perhaps, is what I call the psycho-spiritual effect, which is in accompanying a high-dose peak experience, ketamine or any other psychedelic experience, there's, there is a uh, psycho-spiritual event that occurs. Your ego quiets and you get to experience, both in feeling and in some cases visually, uh, uh, something 
And what is that something? That something is often revolved around your life. Um, some people say they meet God on their psychedelic experiences with ketamine. Some back and in, in revert back to the childhoods and kind of re-experience some level of trauma that they might have had. And that sounds scary, but in the absence of your ego, it's actually not scary. You look at things as the observer or as a witness. And if you saw two people yelling at each other on the, on the street, you'd walk by them and say, oh, there are two people yelling at each other on the street. But if you're a three-year-old and if, you know, terrified of whoever's yelling at you, that has a lot of meaning attached to it. And psychedelic medicine, including ketamine in the psycho-spiritual aspect of the treatment, um, really can detach you from the meaning that you've created because of your traumas. So, for example, I've got friends who've gone to like festivals and, you know, they've taken ketamine all the time. They're called ket heads. And um, <laughs> obviously they've got trauma. A lot of them have trauma. So why is it that when they're at a festival and they're taking all this ketamine, they're simply using it to enhance their moment with the music and the people versus going back to their tent and having this awakening of, fuck, I remember when I had this traumatic event when I was a child. Uh, you go off and dance whilst I just give myself some healing. Why does that not happen? Or is it simply just the environment and where they are, what they're doing in their life, and if they're ready for that change, and if they're doing it for that change versus just getting off their head? Right. So so I would refer to getting off of the head um, without judgment is just a recreational use of medicine. So if you were in a hospital and you had tremendous pain and somebody gave you morphine, well, that would be for your pain. Now, if you took that morphine outside of a clinical setting, whether it be a festival or you're sitting on your sofa, um, you probably would have a very, very different experience. That's first. Secondly, um, well, I, well, I normally don't comment too much on you know, uh, recreational use. I think it's important for your listeners to understand that generally, especially in the United States, but really everywhere in the westernized world, most medicine that's consumed, uh, especially in powder form, outside of a clinical setting, there's about an 80% chance it's actually not what you're having. So if you think you're having ketamine, it could be ketamine with something else. Or if you think you're having MDMA or LSD, it could be laced mm -hmm. with something else. So I, I, would, I would urge anybody at festivals to be very, very, very careful of what they're consuming. Um, um, without judgment, just just take take some uh, take some precautions there. As it does relate to, there's something in psychedelic medicine called set and setting, that Timothy Leary, um, the famous Harvard psychologist, referred to as being instrumental to the psychedelic experience. Number one, set is really referring to the mindset of the person going into the experience. Are they looking to get? Are they looking for an escape? at a festival where it's just about, you know, dancing and, and doing whatever you do at a festival, or are they looking with intention um, to go within? And we have certain things that we use here at Nushama as tools that really enhance people's mindset. Number one, we, we, you know, relax them with some breath work. We put an eye mask on them so they're not distracted by what's in the outside world. Um, we put uh, noise canceling headphones on with specific types of music that really is conducive to going within. So that's that's kind of the mindset part and the setting where you're doing your psychedelic experience. Obviously, it's it, whether you've you've had experience with um, psychedelic medicine or not. 
um, one would surmise that a musical festival with EDM music playing and a thousand people dancing together would be a slightly different setting than either uh, doing it with one-on-one uh, -on -one with a guide in nature, as many shamanic traditions do, or uh, in a clinic like Nushama uh, in, in a very, very serene environment. So both of those affect the ability to go within. And when there's real intention, i.e. the mindset, it's a far, far different experience. So what's the difference between, say, in terms of neuroplasticity and what it does to the brain between taking, say, mushrooms, DMT, ayahuasca versus ketamine, which is horse tranquilizer? And why is it that it has a different effect on a horse as it does to a human? And is the negative effects to taking ketamine? And if so, what? Um, I'm going to address the horse tranquilizer thing first, Oliver. Um, I would say that ketamine... First and foremost, before being a psychedelic, before, before being a horse tranquilizer, is an anesthetic used on every single child in the Western world in a surgery. And it's a big misnomer that happens. Oh, well, it's a horse tranquilizer. Why would you take that? Um, about 50% 50 of medications that are give, given to humans are given to other types of mammals. So I would like to kind of quickly dispel the idea that it is a horse tranquilizer. Um, they give all sorts of antibiotics that they give to human beings, to cats and dogs and horses. Uh, gabapentin, which is a anti, I think it's an anti-seizure medication that saves lives all over the place uh, and, and really helps man manage epilepsy uh, is something that I gave to my cat. <laughs> so um, I, 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 I will, I'll put the, the horse tranquilizer um, idea not to rest because it does actually help tranquilize horses. But it, it is first and foremost an anesthetic for children um, and an analgesic for a lot of people. As it relates to the question of neuroplasticity, how does it vary? We're still so early on in the research. But what they do is they put people on in, in clinical trials uh, under the influence of whether it be ketamine or LSD or DMT or ayahuasca, which contains DMT. And then they put them in an MRI machine, fMRI, and um, they observe before and after of the brain and one thing that is present with all psychedelics that have really been tested in this kind of clinical setting is that they all induce neuroplasticity and that's what's so exciting about this entire field of research is that the only way to to get neuroplasticity no of course it isn't if you're willing to uh you know there's there's probably not a buddhist monk in the world who hasn't uh if they've spent 30 years in um in meditation their brain looks very, very similar to what um, a person on a psychedelic medicine looks like. So really, you can get to that same place that these substances can get you to simply by yourself. So it's like when people say, don't go under a ladder, um, don't go over three drains, make sure elephants are facing the window, uh, you know, don't, you know, salute a magpie, all these things are are negative so you think something bad's going to happen if you don't do it so for example in paracetamol situation you think it's going to help you so it does it seems that if i don't believe that meditation can simply expand my neuroplasticity and i need a substance then that substance will allow me to do that but really what you're saying is you can access it and do it yourself you know like dmt can be released in the penile gland you don't yeah. need to lick a frog for example so really if we can get to these places ourselves we don't really need it. And if we can do the same thing without a substance, that means technically the substance isn't actually bad. I, I totally agree with most of what you're saying, which is, is 
most people, um, anybody can achieve a state of nirvana uh, or, you know, all the words that are in the background behind you, awareness, patience, you know, water, gratitude, selflessness, um, in every spirituality in the world, whether it be, you know, um, whether it be uh, Taoism or Buddhism or Hinduism or Kabbalah or or any parts of Christian mysticism, they all really um, embrace this idea of finding the the light within the Buddha nature, the Christ consciousness, and that can be achieved absolutely without the the assistance or what I prefer to say, the facilitation of medicine. And one thing I do not believe in, and none of us at Nushama believe this, which is this is not a cure. So having ketamine or LSD or DMT, these are not cures. These are medicines that have been used in many ancient and spiritual traditions to facilitate an opening. Now, whether you choose to go through that opening uh, is your choice. Um, you know, one of the things I guess I would kind of ask you is, you know, when you had your awakening of sorts, um, you know, uh, would you say that it happened because of, uh, because somebody, you know, forced you to walk into a church or a synagogue or this, or would you say is wherever the door opened, you saw the, the, you saw the opening for yourself and you actually made a choice. Am I a healer or am I suffering as joe and spencer would say are you a healer or a healy so for yeah. me for me it was always about trying to catch up on thoughts always thinking about that and then that i've done it and then another thought came and then so basically one door opened went through it three doors opened went through three doors another five doors opened and so i was forever going through doors um and only when i came off my medication was i able to go through all these doors in lightning speeds that there was no more doors to go through, meaning I'd answered all my questions I had at that moment in time. If I have a new question like, is ketamine natural or man-made? And if so, where does it come from? Then that's opening another door. But until at 21, I'd answered all my thoughts. And then the meditation has allowed me not to think of new thoughts. Where did ketamine come from? Is it natural or man-made? I can go down that path at any point and I'd probably never stop. Um, so I was always catching up on thoughts. So I always wanted to know more. Wasn't that necessarily believed there was more it was just if i have a question i need to explore it you know is there ghosts if so how is there ghosts how are they speaking are they actually consciously doing stuff or is it just their energy moving shit um so it was just call it an ex a dog in a new field of smells and every new smell just triggers off another wow this is new and it just doesn't end there's a great sense of wonderment. And, and I think that that that's that's an important kind of um, uh, I don't want to say a parallel, but a similar type of experience. Again, like we don't advocate using these medicines long term. What we do advocate, Oliver, is really the safe administration whereby people can access those smells for the first time. Yes. Right. So you talk about the dog smells. Well, you know, uh, I have friends of mine that I that I walk away from meeting and I'm like, they are not even aware at this moment that they're looking straight up against a wall and on the other side of that wall is freedom and abundance and you know awareness and nirvana and krishna and the light and whatever you want to call it so it's almost like 
imagine the wall. You're giving that person a little bit of a boost. They get to peek over. And then it becomes their choice. Now that they know there's another world, now that they know that there's an opportunity to live in gratitude and to live in um, stillness and to live with the basic idea that there's something greater than ourselves out there. So this is this is almost like, like a leaflet compared to a deep study of 30 years. This opens the doorway. Whether somebody decides to go through that doorway is another is another question. You've gone through that doorway. Something happened, it would seem to me, that showed you that there was a doorway there. And I'm actually curious as to what that what was the what was the impetus where you this finger snapped and you're like, oh wow, Oliver, what I'm seeing something new here. Where did that come from? Essentially, it was like a dog in a field finding another smell and exploring where that takes him and then finding another smell and exploring where it takes him. I never, ever meant to call it awaken. I just kept thinking, but there was always another thought. Each thought led to another thought, to another thought, to, to another thought, right? It was, say, uh, you know, watching a ghost program, mo most haunted in the UK, working out, okay, is that the production team throwing a marble or is actually a ghost there? And trying to work out, how is that ghost there? Why is it when you ask for the ghost to do something and make a sound, he doesn't? But then when you just not focus on him, then the ghost throws a marble. And then I was like, okay, so why is it only when that happens, he does it? And when he doesn't, he doesn't. When you focus on it, it doesn't happen. And then when you don't, it does. Okay, I've got to work that out. And then it went on to psychics. Okay. And then the psychic knew exactly what I was thinking when I wanted him to. And then when I blocked the energy, he couldn't pick up anything. And I'm like, okay. How does that happen? He's in he's in opposite side of the world and he can read literally what I'm thinking. And then that led on to say the secret. And then they started speaking about metaphysics. And then okay, now there's science behind it, then there's spirituality. And there's like, hang on a sec, this is similar to the Bible. The Bible's a God, the Bible's a man. So now you've got spirituality, you've got science and God all saying the same thing. So then I had to work out and kind of translate each language to make sure we were on the same page. And Again, I just kept questioning everything until essentially there was no more questions at that point. You know, I, I worked out everything until I was just aware for the first time with no thoughts because I'd worked out all my shit and I was just aware. I just, I was just reborn. I just saw everything, heard everything, felt everything. Everything was clear. So really, I didn't, mean, I didn't mean to stumble across it. It just happened. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and uh, you know, one, one could argue that it was divine providence that it happened. And, um, you know, that feeling of rebirth or the narrative of rebirth is something that occurs commonly. Death and rebirth. My old me, my lower self me, my, uh, as they call it in Hebrew, the Yetzirah, which means the evil inclination in me, has died. And comes back and gets rebirthed as something new. And what is that? Some people refer to it as pure consciousness. Some people call to call, refer to it as, as the real me, the higher self, the light. And it's something that happens in, in many psychedelic experiences, provided that the, you're, you're, you have the right uh, mindset going in, as I described before, as well as the right setting. And really... To make sure that you're ready for these experiences you know there are there are um the crossover between spirituality and science 
uh, and psychedelics, frankly, and non-psychedelics. You know, I, I go to uh, every morning I listen to a, a spirituality podcast that's a little bit of um, David Hawkins letting go, add in uh, Breslov, uh, Judaism, uh, and then just some common sense on top of it. And it's really amazing that the themes are all the same. The themes are all the same in the sense of it's about truth. It's about thought power. Um, if if you are in suffering and you are in upset, uh, why did you create that upset through your thinking? And it really boils down to, I think, uh, getting from an uh, uh, a state of blame into a state of responsibility. Uh, abracadabra is actually a Hebrew word, the abracadabra, which means I create what I speak. And of course, before speech and before action become comes thought. And when you're in the idea that I am either, I am creation or I am co-creating with, you know, the divine, then you recognize that your world is your creation. And then you take responsibility. And that's what's so beautiful about the intersection between spirituality and, and psychedelic medicine, because it just shows you a little glimpse. It does not cure you, but it shows you the glimpse that something else is out there and it's possible. What would you say to somebody who is putting a lot of blame on other people, particularly people closest around them, and they taking zero responsibility? For example, what if something someone does triggers off some deep trauma in somebody unrelated to the topic but related some way sure. and it triggers off this kind of leash of anger pain abuse blame and you've done nothing wrong and they don't take responsibility you tell them look you're i'm not to blame here you're not responsible you know blah 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 and they just completely throw blame attack and they can't see it they're just so in that pain of releasing their pain that they do not see anything else other than like getting out that how, how do you do it or do you just let them just let them be in their pain and hope that they kind of that pain goes to grief and they cry and sat and they get sad and then hopefully they may listen the first thing i would say and i think there isn't a spirituality in the world that does not make this point there's no out there there's no outside triggers there's only inside triggers so it wasn't you or it wasn't the tree blowing in a certain direction. It wasn't somebody cutting you off in traffic or it wasn't, you know, the BBC or Fox News. It was none of these things that made you feel that way. This is all an internal thing. That's the first thing. Secondly, you know, you commented on something being released. I would argue the opposite is happening. When people get triggered and you've triggered somebody, they're, what they're doing is actually suppressing it. They're going into a fear state and they're saying, no, 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 no. Walls are going up. I can't possibly deal with this fear. I will be annihilated and, and go away, go away, go away. But if they sit with the fear and say, okay, what's actually going on? What is... Why am I triggered by what Oliver said? Why am I triggered by the fact that, you know, he said something or, or, or didn't say something? And why is that making me upset? And so, so much of the suffering and getting into this idea of responsibility, or I would call it a different word, freedom, has to do with this idea that there is no out there. There is no out there. Your entire existence is only created by thoughts and thoughts only. So 
what I would say to that person, first, there's no out there, everything you, everything you think you create. And secondly, observe your thoughts for a day or two. And every time a fear comes up, anytime anger, anytime pity, anytime ingratitude, anytime lack of, there's lack of understanding, anytime there's a, uh, um, um, negative self-talk, stop, observe it. And maybe, just maybe, you can substitute it with a different thought. Uh, for people who have lack of self-worth, oh, I'm terrible, I'm not good enough, I'm too fat, I'm too thin, I'm not rich enough, I'm too rich, whatever the, whatever the, uh, the negative self-talk is, how can you get into the, not daily practice, constant practice of speaking to yourself in the opposite substitute, sub, substi a way of substitution? I am okay. I am good enough. I am healthy. I am strong. I am abundant. I am, you know, uh, patient. I am loving. I am generous. I am caring. All of these things. And when you get into the practice of it, slowly, slowly, those negative thoughts start to quiet. And as they start to quiet, it becomes a practice of yours to look at everything with that sense of wonderment, like going into a field as a dog with all those new smells and just observing, wow, how lovely. What a great, what a great existence this is to be part of. What if that person knows that, right? They, they know that in terms of wisdom, they know it, they can talk, it, they can preach it. And you bring it up, you know, just observe your thoughts. Don't say that about yourself. You know, what if they still don't practice essentially what they preach and they go into a self-destructive cycle, you see it, they know it, they know that you see it. So it makes them worse and they go like even deeper into rage. What do you do at that point? I get myself out of that situation because I don't want to be around such toxic energy. But if what I would what I would suggest to that person is there is a fundamental difference between intellectually understanding something and the feeling of which. So I before I did any work with psychedelic medicine and any work with spirituality, I I fundamentally understood, not fundamentally, intellectually understood. Uh, that there was a greater power than us. Did I feel it anywhere in my body? Did I observe what I used to think were synchronicities as just being the great hand of God in divine providence? No, I knew it as as, as I knew that two plus two equals four and, the, and pi is 3.14. It was an intellectual um, uh, thumbtack on a bulletin board that said, oh yeah, I know that pi is 3.14. Did I know, could I understand why? Could I understand what was happening within me on a physical level? And so there's a great difference between intellect and feeling. And I think that's the most important thing. And I might say to that person who is who understood it, I'd say, where is it hurting in your body? Where is it tense? Can we just go there for a second? Because 100% of your time, I believe that the body keeps the score. And if you look at where people carry stress or upset, I know for me often it's my back or my shoulders. You know, most of the time when it's there, I don't even recognize it's there. So where is it showing up for me? And when it shows up for me, I can observe it or play the witness, I'm not trying to change anything, not trying to 
judge it as bad or good. And eventually, if you sit in it, with it, it actually goes away. Yeah, so obviously stress is is a huge factor to literally just creating disease. Um, the said person, because of the situation, um, <clears throat> they were so angry that they were in so much pain, their whole body was in pain. They blamed the person, but their whole body was in pain to the point where they couldn't move and they couldn't eat. And obviously, I know based on this situation that you've essentially manifested this yourself through, I call it self-destruction, punishing yourself, sitting in that pain to reaffirm that pain. And, you know, it just causes a number of other issues. But I love the fact that they can, you said that you said in a great quote, you can intellectually know something, but not feel those words, for example. There's one thing knowing it, but then there's feeling almost like a doctor saying don't smoke, but he's addicted. And then he has a fag in his break, right? He needs that cigarette to relax him, but he knows it's bad and he can tell you it's bad and you can choose to listen or not. Um, so yeah, what I got from that is that if somebody's gonna have pain, that they need to simply just become aware of that pain and rather than try and necessarily fix it, just sit in it. And the more aware you become of something, the more likely you are to essentially find a solution because now you're aware of it. And if people just run from it rather than going in, which I thought was called, uh, what was it called? Sitting in the pain, going within that release. You're saying it's not a release. It may feel like a release, but it's still there and actually it's going back in. It's like being released and it's going back in. It's not a release at all. It's um, putting up a wall and rather than sitting in that feeling, they're pushing it away, which essentially means that you're leaving a dog shit on the side and it's just getting smellier, right? Absolutely. And I'm a believer in the, uh, uh, you know, the mind-body connection for sure. And, and so much of what we are in either physical or emotional pain comes from resistance. So what resists persists. If you're upset and you're not willing to sit in your anger, you will remain angry. If you're jealous and you're not willing to look and sit in your jealousy, you will remain jealous. That's just a, that that is that is it. And one thing I would go on getting back to the example of the friend that you triggered inadvertently and unwittingly. I would introduce them a concept that you know very, 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 very well, which is the law, a law of attraction. Do you want to live your life in upset and uh, pain and suffering? And if you live from that consciousness, you will be a magnet for more upset, pain and suffering. But if you can somehow find gratitude and abundance and joy, and uh, one of one of my great teachers says it's a it's a good deed to be joyous because that energy goes out into the world and it attracts more joy into your life. And so I would tell your friend to listen to a little Louise Hay maybe or read some Florence Govell Shin or Neville Goddard, anything on the law of attraction that talks about like, like attracts like, and of course the opposite is true. What if they know this? Uh, they know this and they've they've done it. They've done all the breath work and the meditation and they read all the books, but they're so like, there's such deep pain and trauma that somehow it creeps up again. 
and it just annihilates all of this that. Is all the, this is all the ego that's protecting you from telling yourself the truth. That's what that is. That's a situation of somebody saying, um, I, 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 if I give up my resistance, if I give up, if I let the walls come down, if I just tell myself the truth, I won't be able to survive. That's the ego that has got a great hold over somebody. And that's where something ego dissolving would be good. So in a case like that, assuming it was safe for this person and this person went through a medical intake, I would suggest that psychedelic medicine, again, properly administered, could really help this person. Why? Because it sounds like this person, I know, I know, I know. And and the sad part is freedom is not about knowing. Freedom is recognizing that you don't know and you'll never know. And when you diminish the ego and quiet the ego and sometimes obliterate the ego, the walls come down. And in a psychedelic experience, when the walls come down, what happens? You get to see what the other side looks like. What does freedom look like? What does bliss look like? How does it feel in my body? What does that freedom look like? Many people start to see, wow, there's a whole world open to me that I've never experienced before. But to be honest with you, that's no different than the people who became, you know, whether they became born again Christians or learned Kabbalah or meditated, you know, in the Himalayas with a guru. It is ultimately trying to get to the same thing, which is um, selflessness, which is stillness, there's a quieting of the ego, a quieting of the monkey mind. And that gets people into living in the present. Because when people are 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 in triggered or they're triggered, they're only triggered because of something that happened in the past. And you cannot live in the past and the present at the same time. And you cannot worry about the future and live in the present at the same time. It is actually impossible. So there's a lot of tools out there. Many of them, I'm sure you know about and and practice on a daily and frankly constant basis but the breath is also a wonderful tool take two or three big juicy delicious breaths and you recognize that the worry dissipates that may not go away completely but when you're in that present moment as ramdas says be here now nothing else exists um if you had one day left to live what would be your biggest life lesson you would tell the next guest it's a great question, Oliver. The biggest life lesson, if I had one day to live, is go to love. Don't waste your time with people who don't bring the best out of you. Embrace the, embrace the people in your life that care for you and you care for, that you connect with, that have, um, that where there's flow and joy and abundance. Um, and it's just they, they create lovely experiences just being around them I would encourage people go to love and what if these people have you know a 10 out of 10 positive loving side but also a 10 out of 10 negative destructive side where there's highs but they're equally the lows are equally as good and you love this person do you stick around and absorb the negatives or do you have to sacrifice the highs and essentially let them go I don't think you could be 10 out of 10 in both categories. <laughs> I don't think you could be 10 out of 10 in love. 
intended attendant suffering. People who spend their time in stillness and generosity and compassion and charity and they stay there, they don't they know nothing from this this lower self talk. You cannot be both in your lower self and higher self at the same time. You cannot be um in godliness and in Satan at the same time. So I always ask myself, regardless of what your spirituality or religion is, is like, all right, let's use God or Krishna or the light. What type of behaviors espouse that? Is it godly to steal? Is it godly to be in anger? Is it godly to um, treat living things poorly? Is it godly to live in 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 jealousy? No, none of these none of these behaviors are godly. So find somebody who inspires you, be it a friend, a mate, a um, cat, a dog. Let them, the, the people that bring the best out of you are the ones that you want to share your energy field with. And there's nothing like that. You understand what the connection is. So what I would tell the next guest, if it doesn't feel good, don't do it. And you know when you when you surround yourself in love, it always feels good. And you know when you surround yourself in anger and in jealousy and in hate and in retribution and revenge, it never feels good. Okay. Anything else you want to plug or promote before we end? Um, look, we uh we we're in the psychedelic field and we, we do a safe, um safe medically supervised. Uh, psychedelic experience here for people with depression and anxiety and PTSD. So check us out at newshama.com um, on on the on the web and um, at our Instagram at, at newshama wellness. And yeah, that's it. Thank you for having me on. It's always great talking about things that aren't necessarily about medicine, but are about the spirit within because all these things like depression and anxiety and PTSD are just because our spirits have been broken and we can always, always, always come back to become reinvigorated and, and rejuvenate the spirit. So thank you very much for bringing this uh, topic to the fore. Thank you. Thank you very much. Take care. Take care. All the best. Ciao.